Welcome to Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd. I'm joined by my co-hosts, uh, Mr. C.H. Siddons. Hi, Mr. Siddons. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back. It's great to see you. You look you look relaxed, and we're recording during the day, so you're in natural light. It's so nice that I'm not in these weird shadows. And of course, Mr. Peter Crable. Hey, Mr. Crabes, how you doing? Good. How you doing? It's good to see you. As always, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Ed's Not Dead Media, full-service educational media company focusing on leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. Fellas, it is good to be back. Uh, It's fairly pathetic that we are almost at December. And how many shows do we have for the year? This is three. This is three. This is is the third. This is three, but the three have been of high quality. They have been a very high quality. They're focused on quality this year. Right, right. And speaking of quality, we are continuing in this episode uh, with our Ed's Not Dead Superintendent Series. We Mm -hmm. are examining the courage and lived experiences of school system leaders and the successes and challenges of public school systems. And on today's show, we are incredibly fortunate to have Dr. Monifa McKnight, the superintendent of the Montgomery County Public Schools. Uh, she's agreed to join the pod. We are thrilled to interview her. Um, so that's going to be awesome. It's awesome. So exciting. And what's most exciting is that I haven't had to book any guests. I know. I've, I've, if you, if you had to rate my booking skills one to 10, how have I done? I was, I started out better. I know you're going to say, and then I've, I've dipped. <laughs> I would say 10 because you've, you've successfully booked and executed on a hundred percent of your booking. Requests. We've had three, three superintendents that we aim to do. And we've done two of them so far. I'd say that's yeah. pretty good. This is true. All right. That's stay tuned. T- for the and based on my quiz, my quiz rules, you're two out of three. You, you've won. You are a winner. You're a winner. <laughs> Well, uh, speaking of being a winner, um, the last episode was clearly a winner with our listeners. Not all the listener show feedback was thrilled with me. Um, I think what spurred uh, a lot of discussion on the inner interweb was uh, our discussion of organic chemistry and it being a, a weeding out course in college. And also, we were very fortunate to have Dr. Williams on the podcast, superintendent of Baltimore County public schools. So that was great. So, mm-hmm. um, unlike most episodes, fellas, we actually have show feedback to read. That's very <laughs> exciting. <laughs> this is true. Big deal. <laughs> In fact, thanks for pointing that out by the way. Just, well, just for our listeners, usually before we start recording, one of the two of you tells me not to say anything about show feedback because <laughs> I generally don't have it. So we're, I think we're, there, I think people have a lot of opinions and feedback on our show because we have a lot of listeners, but maybe they feel uncomfortable sharing or don't feel like their feedback would be valued. But let me tell you, value it's highly valued. We value your feedback. All right, so especially stuff into, that's not great to hear. So let's get into what people had to say uh, about it's not dead from the last episode. All right, Crable, you're up. Okay, uh, I'll start back on, um, we we have a, a very lengthy, um, rebuttal is not really the right word, but response to the section on organic chemistry. And if you recall, we had Matt Jones, a teacher at NYU who was fired and the sort of salacious headline was fired for failing too many students or students complained or something along that matter. So uh, we had uh, Paul Mazzocchi and Dorothy Mazzocchi who have quite the curriculum vitae between them both phds and organic (laughs) like that both both, 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> both PhDs in organic chemistry. Uh, Paul, Professor Emeritus um, for the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry, Chairman of the Chemistry Department at Maryland, Dean of Life Sciences and Agriculture, University of Maryland, uh, and Dorothy, Professor of Chemistry, University of Maryland and Prince George's Community College. So I'm just going to read a little bit. Uh, it is a little, little lengthy. Um, maybe we can figure out a way that we can make a Google Doc and link to their entire response uh, in our in our show notes. Um, so what they wrote was the the one question I have about his teaching, that's Matt Jones at NYU, is the average grade of 30 on his exams. There's no question that anyone teaching this course could offer an exam that anyone in the class would fail. However, exam design is a critical part of teaching. I would design exams with, 60%, with a 60% average goal. There would be a few very difficult questions that only the top students could answer and questions of varying difficulty for the rest of the exam. So he takes aim in his practice of uh, trying to, well, not about trying to fail, but failing everyone and saying that, you know, just because you say you failed everyone, that's not something to hang your hat on or necessarily be proud of. Uh, They go on to say, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I want to hear that. Go on to say that even 40 years ago, students in this course, and I assume others did not work throughout the semester, then tried to catch up at the last minute. Shocker. They may uh, have been successful in a sociology course, zing, where they oh. could get by partially by BS, but not in organic Man. chemistry. Oh, that's a oh, that's, humanities. At the social Ooh. science. Jeez, the humanities. Just make, are just make it up. Hit. That's all you have to do. Uh, the answers I mean, are what not- do these people know about <laughs> chemistry? Let's be honest. They, yeah. Oh, Casey, the answers are not debatable. They are facts. That's and true. then lastly, Sorry. so basically saying you, you kind of know it and can do it or not. And then lastly, uh, talking about the weeding out process that Dr. Dodd had referred to, uh, organic chemistry is often considered a gateway to med school because success, and it requires many of the attributes necessary for success, success in medical study. My personal nightmare is waking up on an operating table and seeing a student I gave a D to. Oh, that's a, I like that. <laughs> yeah, that was the, that was that was the finish. I, I purposely chose the last uh, that is couple nice, sentences a of, of, of how they ended it, which was nice. I, uh, yeah, I'm, so quite a bit there to unpack. I, I, and I'm kind of fascinated about um, the design of assessments. That's an interesting, we didn't really talk about that when, no. we, when we reviewed the piece. And clearly, uh, Dr. Mazzocchi put a lot, into time, a lot of time into thinking about how to assess their students in a, sounds like a varied way. Um, yeah, and to and to know if if you got this question, it meant you knew this. If you didn't get this question, it meant you didn't know that. Right. I think that's there's something to that of saying if you get this question right, you have an incredible, like a, a much more in depth understanding. Right. That only one percent, two percent, five percent of students are going to get, and it's designed that way. But not every question is like that. It's a it's an interesting thought process because I never th- I've never thought about creating a test or giving a test with the goal of a specific average grade. I, I, that to I, me is I like if so. You were gonna say something about that? Yeah, I, I, that seems like such a college. It must just be a college thing. I don't know. It's just sixty percent average. So that you're you're designing a uh, you're designing a, an assessment that when you're trying to assess what kids know, what students know, what people know, with the intent that forty percent are going to fail, <laughs> which to me is like. I don't know. I, I guess I don't understand well, not, the purpose. Not, of well, it. not 40% failed. The average is 60%. Oh, and, I'm sorry. And, yes. And, yes. And, in their, and in their response, they also talked a little bit, though, about how they didn't get caught up in the like 90 to 100, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, so I think it's, it's, a, it's a little like we have to think about it, not in a traditional way of like, oh, it's a 60%. It's a D because that's not necessarily how they were looking at it. I, yeah. You know, it wasn't like, oh, let's let's get a bell curve of grades here. 
you know, but putting enough difficult questions in there to really kind of like see what strata students are. I, I, that's, that's how I, that's how I, read. no, I understand. I, that makes sense. And I think like, if you've met, if you've like learned 60% of the material, is that good enough for organic chemistry? Uh, I never took it. Sounds like it might be, you know, I uh, mean, it, it sounds like a pretty, I don't know what my doctor got on their assessments. I, I hope, I hope it's okay. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be D students that are graduating from med school, I guess. Right. I don't know. It, it would sound like to me that if you pull a C in organic chemistry, I, I I'd be curious if you pull a C in organic, organic chemistry, I wonder how that affects your ability to get into med school I, that's I'm, a good question. I'm, or the MCATs that you have to take to get into med school. Um, I wonder how much of it covers organic chemistry anyway. Uh, Andrew Mazzocchi, fellas, is a loyal listener of the show. He is the um, son of Doctors Mazzocchi, and so he reached out to them. and And I'm not sure they listened to the show, but they certainly wanted to weigh in. So thank I you. I love it. Yeah, it's yeah, awesome. Appreciate it. Uh, they've 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 lived the they've lived this. I I got some feedback sent to me from uh, one of our loyal. I'm calling him an Ed's not deadhead. Is that okay? Is that uh, is that copyright I, copyright I infringement? I don't know. You you didn't like you all didn't like me referring to the show as END for all that's that, true. All that that's time. True. That's so true. That's not that's, that's not true. That is fine. We'll <laughs> that's fine. Uh loyal listener David McCutcheon. Uh he's he's an experienced educator, 30 plus years. And he said it was a little bit of a dig to Dr. D- D- Dr. Dodd here. As Dr. much Dizzle, as Dr. Dizzle. Dr. Dizzle, as much as we love and respect Dr. Dodd for his wisdom on the pod and the guidance. Of the two youngsters, that's me and you, Crable, we're young <laughs> youngsters, on their journey through ed, ed leadership, we do need to cry foul on his lack of proper sourcing on this internationally broadcast podcast. <laughs> During a recent discussion of the effects of proper teacher training and certification procedures, which I, uh, um, Sarah actually listened to recently, she said, you got a little heated there. And I was like, I don't even remember getting heated, but I guess I did. Uh, he said, and I paraphrase, and his quote is, I seem to recall er, from many, many, many years ago when I was a doctoral student, um, some research which may have seemed to suggest that teacher training might not have an impact on student achievement, I think. Uh, this This reasoning throws trained teachers under the bus a bit, so we would appreciate some more definitive research before spreading what may prove to be Oh, fake news. Oh, fake news. He called, he called, uh, he called. That's a burn. Called fake news on me. Uh, Mr. McCutcheon, um, thank you for that. And he's got me, he's caught me totally flat footed. Uh, I, I don't, I could have been improper sourcing. The only thing that I will use to defend myself, I think now, again, David, I've not gone back and done the research for the show, but I think I was referring to a study that John Hanushak did at Stanford uh, where he looked at the impact of the highly qualified designation that school systems had to use under No Child Left Behind, um, and that he found kind of a, a very little connection or correlation between that provision of the law and student achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's now that was a while ago, but I think that's what I was referring to. Yeah, I mean, it's no more than twenty years ago. Yeah, I mean, and I and I read it ten years ago. Um, but 
uh, I could get back on JSTOR and see if I can find it. <laughs> Ooh, do you still have, do you still have access to that JSTOR? I do not. I do oh, not. I, I tried to log on. I don't know, like six months ago, and I was kind of hoping because I I actually really liked JSTOR. Yeah, um, it's just a. Anyway, uh, but thanks for calling me out, David. I appreciate it. It's good. Keep me on my toes. And, 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 yeah, good on you. I usually would just say research suggests yeah. and have absolutely <laughs> nothing to back me up on it. <laughs> All right. What else do we have? What other too. show feedback? Is there, uh, we, a, is there a Dr. Cohen? Uh, there is. this Dr. Cohen? Oh, there yes. There is. Yes. I believe um, on this particular one, you, you had called out Dr. Mark Cohen, I believe, on our, our last episode asking for some some written feedback uh and so we had a dr mc which uh dr dodd so astutely put together mc standing for mark cohen yeah look at the detective work over there Uh, anyhow uh dr cohen or dr mc says it seems that each decade brings with it a supposed existential challenge for public education teachers administrators politicians parents and even students thump their chests and wonder out loud whether the great american promise of a free and equitable public education for all is still possible or necessary. We hear that the times have changed. The kids have changed. The teachers have changed. The curriculum is too dense. Testing is the problem. Testing is the solution. And so on and so on and so on. The Ed's not dead, guys. That's us. Don't fall into (laughs) any of these traps. Episode after episode, they present clear, evidence-based, thought-provoking commentary on all things education their guests are top-notch. Their interviews are well-executed. Their ability to make complex connections and illustrate relevance for those of us in the trenches is a gift. And they do all this with a sense of humor and an optimism that keeps me coming back. Wow. Wow. That's one of the best, of the best pieces of feedback. We've maybe ever the best. That might be the number one seed right there. I, yeah. I, have, a, I have a little embarrassment over that flag. <laughs> that, that was that was. Give that me was a great. little. Give me some goosebumps there. Yeah, Dr. Uh, Dodd, you're turning got, red got there. Me motivated. And Dr. Cohen is uh it's it's high praise coming from Dr. Cohen. He's he's I don't have to sing his praises, but he is he's he's a great educational leader and he's very involved in um educational leadership at both the state and national level. He knows a lot about running schools and developing highly effective administrators and principals. So uh, thank you, Dr. Cohen. Thanks for yeah, listening. Much, awesome. much appreciated. Yep. All right. I, I kind of want more. Is there more? <laughs> <laughs> go go well, find some more. Sure. Request I, should, more. I shouldn't be greedy. The point is, if you give us feedback, we'll read it. Oh, we All said right. it. You know? All right. Um, if you have questions, we'll read it. We'll answer them. I Not think correctly, but I, I and Casey, to your to your credit, you found that piece on organic chemistry. We had no idea that was going to be such a winner. I, that, 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 that struck a chord. Yeah, struck a chord. All right, folks, uh, don't go away. When we come back, we are so excited to welcome the superintendent of the Montgomery County Public Schools, Dr. Monifa McKnight, on to Ed's Not Dead. We'll be back in just a few. Thanks. Welcome back to Ed's Not Dead. Uh, fellas, we are so excited to welcome our next guest, Dr. Monifa McKnight, superintendent of the Montgomery County Public Schools. Over the last two decades plus, Dr. McKnight has served as a classroom teacher, staff development teacher, school-based leader, middle school principal. She led MCPS's program to develop school-based leaders 
She's been a deputy superintendent, and now she's the first African-American female superintendent in one of the premier school systems in the nation. Dr. McKnight, welcome to Ed's Not Dead. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. I appreciate you having me. All right. So we're going to jump right in. You ready? I'm ready. So Dr. McKnight, as we slowly come out of the pandemic, what do you think are the priorities of public school systems across the nation? and specifically the things that are at the top of your list as a current superintendent. So thank you again for having me. And I think this is such an important conversation. The more often educators can come together to really share ideas about what we have to do post-pandemic, the more we're going to all see this as an opportunity. And then most of all, create solutions to probably uh, longer-lived problems that we had prior to the pandemic that we'll all come out of Um, in a more positive way for our children. Um, And if you were to ask me to prioritize coming out of the pandemic, what's most important? The first I'm going to say is learning loss. Um, The pandemic was a a situation that required uh, our students transform and our teachers transform their practice to a virtual environment. And what we all know is that education, I would say, is a true in-person experience. But we did have some students who uh, did well in the virtual platform during the pandemic, the majority of our students didn't do so well because this is a person-to-person business. And so I think we have to first attend to um, how the learning disruption impacted the learning and progress of our students, first and most importantly. Um, So I I think that's it. And I'll get to solutions about later, if, if hopefully you'll ask me about how I think we address some of these things then I'll talk more about that. But, but learning disruption and the learning loss that has occurred is the first. The second is making sure that we um, recognize and understand all of the trauma that occurred to students um, or that they experienced during the pandemic. And the reason we need to understand that is because these students are still coming into our schools and into our spaces every single day. And we really want to be able to support them. We will only know how to support them if we understand exactly what the impact uh, was during the pandemic and what impact is still there that we need to work through with them so that they can be available and take advantage of the education that we're providing them. That's second. Third is uh, mental health and wellness for our students and families. This has always been important. And and we all know that, you know, we can teach our students and go in with the best prepared lesson. But unless they are prepared um, to be able to, to engage in the environment then all that great planning and resources that we provide may not make that impact. And I think now we're actually starting to acknowledge or we are acknowledging that students' social and emotional well-being is just as important as their academic state. And so uh, really making sure we continue to invest in, assess, and address student needs as it relates to uh, health and wellness is really important. And I think that goes beyond the student. I think it's really looking at the family. The student is just one member of a family, but if a family is being impacted in some way that impacts the student's uh, social, emotional well-being, then I think we have to look at ways that we can work with others and coordinate services so that we can support that family. So that's third. Um, The fourth area I would say is really looking at the um, increased socioeconomic impacts on our families. During the pandemic, so many families experienced mobility for a variety of reasons, whether it was that they uh, had caregivers that, that needed their attention, they had to pick up and move. And and uh, some, some families, uh, parents lost jobs and guardians, they lost jobs and then they had to then move, which then caused students to be mobile. 
Um, but the economy was really hit hard in so many different ways by the pandemic. So we have to rebuild. And I think when we think about rebuilding and, and considering the social emotion, the uh, socioeconomic impact on our families, that means, again, we have to dig deeper beyond the student and try to figure out what has the story been so that we can set those supports up successfully for the student and their family. And so I think as we um, think about post-pandemic, um, these are the things that we absolutely have to focus on. So one of the several of the things you mentioned, um, but specifically thinking about the trauma um, that's happened to students, um, as well as the need for, you know, mental health and, and wellness. You know, thinking for you, kind of being relatively new to the job when, when the pandemic hit, I, I, you know, how was that a new learning for you? And was that something that you expected to, to happen? And And how did you go about you know, I, I guess what I'm asking is I feel like schools have always been like, yes, you know, student well-being at the forefront and let's make sure kids are okay. But this was on a whole new level. Right. So what has been your approach, you know, to systematically uh, ensure that the kids are okay and that families are okay and kind of taking on this this new um, challenge for public education of, you know, of course, we're always doing academics and of course, looking out for student well-being, but, you know, just amplifying all of that in this in this new space. So to get at your first part of the question, um, did I anticipate this? I think every all of us anticipated that our children would come back to school different than they were uh, before the pandemic. Um, it, it was just inevitable. Education was turned upside down. Children were being educated from their homes. We don't know what the situations were that were occurring in their homes. Some helpful, some harmful. Um, they also had to adapt to learning in a very different way through a computer screen. Um, you think about technology literacy. Um, at that point, then we actually had a chance to see who's going to do this easily and who's going to have a, a, a bit more trouble trying to figure out how to make that transition happen to have school um, on a virtual platform. So, so many things began to elevate about, quite frankly, the inequities that causes a gap that we always know it's been there, but we didn't always know the reasons why. You know, I remember when we had to put uh, technology in every student's hand for them to be able to engage in the environment. I kept thinking, wow. So for some of our students who were saying, you know, I don't need it, or they had the technology at home, I was like, they've been able to, from the click of a button, be able to go and research topics and get information that they need to just become more informed individuals, which is amazing. But there's a whole host of our students who, when they leave school, they don't have that ability. And in some spaces, school may have been structured to a point where they may not have had the flexibility to engage in their areas of interest and things that just they were curious about and just wanted to, to learn more. So, yes, they were going to come back transformed. And for whatever that meant, and for many of our students, as we've seen, um, it meant that they came back not really knowing how to interact anymore, um, how to reengage in relationships that existed before the pandemic that were strained because there was no connection, all of those things. And so we knew there would be impact. We didn't know exactly what it would be. And when they came back last year, which was, by the way, another COVID year, um, we saw it. We saw some of the things that we probably could have anticipated. Friendships, relationships were going to strain because uh, students had to figure out how they were going to re-engage. And many of them needed help in doing that. That's why we really focus on conflict resolution. 
and, and, and reminding them of just some of the basic things of how it is that you resolve conflict and work with one another. We also try to be proactive in teaching those skills. Um, I'm so grateful for our Leader in Me program. And I had a chance to go out to our elementary schools and see that because it continues to teach our students skills of, you know, how do I um, make good decisions for myself and for others? And how do I care about my neighbor and help and support them um, that really should transition um, into that conflict resolution environment that they need to know how to manage as they as they grow older. Um, we also recognize that there were things that just happened in the world um, that our community, and specifically here in Montgomery County, um, was exposed to. Like, for instance, students were able to receive weapons in the mail delivered to their, their homes. That wasn't something that always existed, but when students were at home and, and had the opportunity to to, to engage in some of these things more often because they were at home. Then when they came back to school, those were some of the realities that we recognized had become a thing during the pandemic. Um, and so again, those types of situations, we had to work with many of our partners on, like, you know, we really engaged with our uh, state's attorney's office to um, think about how can we inform our students about the decisions that are made and the consequences around weapons and use of weapons. And most importantly, how can we arm you with uh, the tools and skills that you need so that you don't feel that, you know, these are options that could lead to bad consequences or unintended consequences. So some of it, uh, Peter, I have to say we anticipated and were able to um, think about when we re-engage students, what we were going to need to do. But some of it, um, you know, we we just learned when students came back, wow, we're really going to need to have a program dedicated to this. And I just bring it back to my three priorities really emphasize that I knew when we came back, we were going to reestablish trust. And that was going to be necessary between teacher and student, school and guardian and parent, um, the school system and the overall community. All of that trust was going to need to be rebuilt. Um, and the second area focusing on social emotional wellness for students and staff. We knew we were going to have to have a specific um, strategy and plan to make sure that we were intentionally focusing on that. So our students and, and our staff and everyone would feel that we knew this was going to be a priority. And the third, returning to a focus on equitable teaching and learning. Um, and I must say, in, in to your question, thinking about social emotional wellness and how we started out this year, it was one of um, my most exciting moments when we started the year out walking into schools. And I visited uh, 12, 12 schools uh, the first week of school. And up to this point, I've gotten to about 24. And no, I'm sorry, 34. And I have to say, every time I go into a school, into a classroom, I see that there is a space that acknowledges students getting that social emotional support in the school, in the classroom and the adults being astute to that need. So I'm just so glad that I'm a part of a community who embraced that commitment and are bringing it to life for our students every day. A quick follow-up, Dr. McKnight, to Mr. Crable's question. Um, I've known you for a long time, and I know you've always been, um, uh, you've you've developed so many leaders as a mentor over the years, um, and you were, you were, um, I know you willingly became the superintendent, but you were thrust into the into a, a really high profile leadership position during an incredibly challenging time in the history of public education. 
I'm just curious about you as a leader and what you've learned about your own style, your own approach, um, as, as you were pressed on by a lot of different factors. You know, I always say every leader should aspire to always learn through the challenges more about themselves so that they can be a better leader for whoever it is that they're serving. Um, and I think the pandemic should have pushed every leader to that, myself included. So I learned a lot about myself. Um, one is that it doesn't matter what the challenge is in front of me. And I had to really go back and reflect on my leadership journey as interim superintendent and now as superintendent and what I found similar about myself through different circumstances. And while there have always been challenges, none as great as COVID, <laughs> um, I recognize that I tend to run towards a problem. Um, because I know that if I run towards it, that means I'm going to spend the time to understand it, dissect it, and try to work with others to come up with the absolute best solution and try to do that quickly so that whoever this problem is impacting, that we're working quickly towards a resolution for it. Now, of course, COVID was the long haul version of that, but no matter what came out, whether it was a, 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 um, a protocol or a process implemented by the governor or whether it was another consideration from the Maryland State Department of Education, my job was always to stop and say, what does this mean for Montgomery County, number one? And number two, what is the impact of this decision going to be on the students and staff? And if I found that there were going to be significant challenges with that, then my job was to advocate and share with wherever this demand was coming from what that challenge was going to be, either in one, us implementing it, or two, I'm going to offer solutions as an alternative if I think the impact is going to be too great. So that that's that that's those are the things that you do when you run towards a problem. Um, and I recognize that I continue to do that. And um, it's what quite frankly, continues to encourage me in so many different ways to say, you know, if I don't do that, then who is? And I've got to be the champion for everybody, for the children, for the staff, and for the community. And so if I'm running towards the problem to come to a solution um, that's going to benefit everybody, then here's what I know. Others are going to come along with me because they want the problem solved as well. And so I found it as a great way to also galvanize a community around a common interest um, that they have in being successful. Every child wants to be successful. Every child, um, although they may meet success in different ways and in different paths, that's what they want. And every parent wants that for their child. And what I know about my community of Montgomery County is that this community wants its school system to be successful. So it's 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 a benefit to have a community that has that interest because that means we take the initiative in solving our own problems and uh, being relentless towards them so that we can protect the interests of what we care about, which is our children, our educational infrastructure. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Sid, you're up. I'm up. Sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm running solo and you're probably going to hear Frida uh, screaming in the background just a little bit. Hi, Frida. <laughs> Dr. McKnight says, hi, Frida. <laughs> um, so uh, speaking of running towards problems, uh, Schools across the country are experiencing uh, a, a, not a dwindling staff, but certainly a challenge in hiring staff, whether it's teachers, paraeducators, bus drivers, so on and so forth. 
as as superintendent of the the fifth was it the fifteenth largest school district in the nation, we're seeing those on a on a very small scale, relatively small scale in our own district. This is kind of a two part question. What do you feel like as a society we need to do to to recruit and retain effective teachers, and then more importantly and more succinctly, how do we how do we take that pipeline of new teachers and make sure that they reflect the the demography of our kids and make sure there are more teachers of color in front of our children? Yes. So I must say that in Montgomery County Public Schools, we have established a very comprehensive recruitment action plan that has a number of pillars that we um, focus on to make sure we're addressing that problem. I mean, we recruit year round, um, all year. Um, just to make sure that that process never stops. That's important to us because we also have a growing enrollment uh, uh, process of students that happens throughout the year. We partner with institutions of higher education because we are going to need them to deliver the students that we need and educate them to prepare them to work uh, to walk into the workforce. Um, we continue. To, I'm going to say this one: we have to continue to respect the profession of education. We actually have to do it even more than we have been doing it. When I was a, a principal ambassador fellow at the Department of Education, I remember there was a, um, a project that we worked on called Respect of the Educational uh, Workforce. And I remember the Secretary of Education at the time had uh, taken a trip to uh, Singapore and, and, and some other places and was just really looking at education. And I remember we were debriefing the trip. Um, and one of the things that stood out was that in, in some other places that we were looking at educational models, there was a significant focus on making sure there was respect shown to the profession of education. I never forgot that um, and thought that stood out because that means from a child, and you all understand this, Frida probably is a perfect example of it. I hope she is. When they're starting to play school when they're young and say, you know, I want to become a teacher for our response to be, oh, that is amazing. That is the mm -hmm. best job that you could have to contribute to society. That's what we need our families to say. It's, <clears throat> it's what we have to do to continue to look at. Uh, Earlier, I spoke about solving age-old problems. Um, what are some of the things that are most successful teachers find to be really valuable in them being successful. And let's replicate what those things are that they need, um, whether it may be more time, whether it may be a support of another teacher colleague that's more available to them, whatever it is, we get a chance to invent what it is. We just need to hear what it is that's working and have the student data, qualitative and quantitative, to reaffirm that. Um, and I think that means we have to create structures and models that have been arduous for people in the profession and really figuring out what that is and creating new pathways and new processes, procedures, and structures that solve the problems that make people not get burnt out or not enjoy their jobs at the end of the day. And so that's what I think we have to do. And most of all, um, one way we acknowledge that is also in how we pay the profession. Um, you know, I, I was speaking with a group of teachers, um, uh, I think it was last month, and I was sharing with them, it was no fun when I graduated from college. And, you know, I was uh, living with my sister in Virginia, who was an engineer, and I was a teacher. And boy, 
did our pocketbooks look very different? <laughs> you know, um, a lot of sacrifice on my end and, and her being a great sister, taking on a lot of things that I couldn't afford. Um, that should not be. When we really think about the fact that without teachers, there would not be doctors. There would not be lawyers. There would not there would not be so many things that that existed if we didn't have teachers. Then we have to create the 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 structure and the pay to do that to to show parity between the respect of that profession and others. And that's why I'm so excited about the Maryland Blueprint because I'm thrilled that it decided to address an age old problem, which is to really increase teacher salary as one of many steps in the right direction that we need to take to show a true respect for the profession. So to me, that's how we're going to get people to come into the profession, stay into the profession, enjoy the profession, and give it their all, which is going to benefit our students, and that's what we need. Uh, Mr. Crable's concerned about the provision in the Maryland Blueprint where he would have to teach as a principal. I know that for a fact. Isn't that true, Mr. Crable? I I don't recall ever having that conversation with you. (laughs) No. Does not sound familiar. All right. Okay. Go ahead. But well, can I let me say something about yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. So, because the Maryland Blueprint is a great opportunity for innovation moving forward, it does. It's a framework, right? It doesn't mean that everything in it is easily applied, or that it's the perfect answer. Here's what it does, though. It challenges the public education structure to think about how you do things differently to get the results. Now, when I think about that, um, you know, a assistant principal um, teaching a course, what's the big idea there? You probably already know it. How do we continue to have assistant principals engaged in instruction? Yep. We know the importance of a leader of a school knowing instruction and supporting instruction so that we can get the benefit that we need from students. Maybe that comes in teaching a course. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it comes through supporting a course. Maybe it comes, maybe we find out that you support a course by going into the course and and and, and being a uh, a support to the teacher, you know, on some frequency that we decide is or we decide is 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 appropriate and manageable for an assistant principal. And, and, and to me, this is why I think we have to run towards the problem and figure out what the solutions are so we can then inform. This is what we've learned is the right calculation or, or or the right solution to how we're going to achieve this thing. And if it's making sure that we the, the uh, administrators stay engaged in education in a meaningful way to know and understand the complexities of work of their teachers, then let's figure that out so that we can then share what we've learned. That's, that's what this is. That's why I'm excited about it because it's an opportunity for us just not to be compliant. And for me... I always see Montgomery County Public Schools as the largest school system in the state and one of the largest in the nation is to figure out what the solutions are for our children and to tell our story. And I just see the blueprint as an opportunity to do that. And I think that's a really nice segue um, into into our last question here. So um, at the top of the interview, you had mentioned the need to address learning loss as one of your top priorities. So, you know, I really twofold. One, I'd, I'd love to hear your vision about how to do that. Um, you know, keeping in mind it's it's pandemic, it's it's everything that we're addressing in terms of like what kids have uh, have lost. And then two, um, you know, what you just said about kind of challenging the norm and challenging the status quo and challenging the structures of how things have always been done. You know, would love to hear um any sort of like outside of the box and you know, 
let it let us let us into the the secret chamber of the superintendent um about anything you're talking about or thinking about to just um you know to really shake things up to try to try instead of just repeating everything let's yes what can we do differently to get different results ah peter the secret <laughs> chamber well yeah, I, I want to know about this I, i've heard about right. it <laughs> i'm going to open it up just a little bit uh <laughs> Some of it I am actually looking to share um, because I think the way that you you also get to innovation is continue to talk about how you're using your resources to support some of those practices. So I've been looking. I will I will share share this one two two things with you that um, I've been reading about, following closely, learning about that impact students' growth in learning. One is to be able to provide more time for them to learn. And I don't know about your experience as as an educator, but I know what mine was teaching elementary, middle and high. And I will say that it was always interesting when you come back at the beginning of the school year and then you just start reviewing all the things that they should have remembered and keep your fingers crossed that they remember. And if they don't, then you start the cycle of then remediating, reminding before you can even get to new content. Right. See, an old tradition. I, I really believe that when we can bring some continuity to that um, and look at how we can be creative in using the, the the calendar and the structure to provide our students more continuity and time and continuity for them to learn, that that's one of the spaces of innovation that I really believe in, just providing more time. Um, and we, in Montgomery County Public Schools, we actually have two schools, our innovative calendar schools at the elementary level that 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 um have that model and structure and they actually were formed the what the first year of the pandemic in 2019 but but I believe there's more that we can do and learn from that and what we've seen from those schools are that even despite the pandemic we we've seen some growth uh in those schools so that's one more time second is making sure we are still providing more time in many different ways so I'll say, uh, for example, our tutoring services that we're providing to our students. So right now we're providing that to them. You know, some of some schools are providing in person and students can come to school early. Some can come late and spend, you know, more time with the teachers within their schools. Some can log on from home and get, you know, access to that service 30, 45 minutes, whatever it may be. And guess what? For many years, we know that. Some of our students were just able to do that because their families had the connections to be able to say, hey, can we get this teacher who I know is a great teacher and, and may need some extra funds or whatever on the weekend to help my child? Well, this brings some equity to that so that every child can get that reinforcement um, in a way that's brought to them. So it really comes down to more time and more ways to access that time and being creative in how we do that. And Peter, one more. Here's here, here's one more. Tell us. I think we have to look at the classroom, right? Um, I've been looking at some models, uh, different models across the United States in terms of uh, different things that people have done at different points in time. And, and I've also been reconciling that with what are the things that I'm hearing from our staff and our teachers in our comprehensive school and our innovative calendar schools? What are the things that are just like really pain points for them? And I also think about that for our brand new teachers too. Like we know one of the most difficult things for them is um, having to make the contact sometimes with the parents to tell them that their child is not where they need to be and then what they're going to do. 
Well, how fascinating and wonderful would it be if they had support in doing that? So why does our classroom model be, why does it exist as one where there's a bunch of students and one teacher? I think that, I think those are things that we should look at. How does that classroom model, how should it be structured so that it, it provides more support and uh, it, it's not just, uh, you know, one teacher and all of these students when there's so much capital within a school, when you really think about all the staff you have, all the 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 um, expertise that they have, the different personalities that you know connect with different kids. Why do we silo that in the way that we do? So just some things I'll leave you with to think about. I'm going to be talking more about this in preparing for um, our budget and more of next year, but it really comes down to kind of brushing up against some of our traditional systems that have just existed because they have. And I, I know that I said that was the last one, and then, but I always add the one at the end. It's a very short one, though. It, it's, it's, a, it's a good one. So I, I, I saw you um, when you were talking about all the schools you've been to. I, I saw you really light up. So I wonder, what do you what do you miss most about working in a school, being a principal at school, being a teacher? Just, you know, what do you miss about being in schools on a daily basis? Being with students. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's where yes. you get your energy from. Um, and not that I don't get energy from the staff, because I got to tell you, we have an amazing staff here at Central. Uh, we are serious about what we do, and we try to bring life to everything that we do for, for children here. But it is uh, being with the students because you're, as a superintendent, I don't get to see as quickly the impact um, that I was able to see as a principal. I could walk into a classroom, but I wanted to see implementation of a curriculum. Um, I could walk into three different classrooms. I could walk into a classroom with a novice teacher and see what it looks like. I could walk into a classroom with an experienced teacher and see that I could walk into a classroom um, that is a supported classroom uh, for students and, and, and see what that looks like. So, so that's that's what I miss. It's 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 being with the students. But here's here's what you do. I, I think as a leader, you create the space to have the things that you miss. And so, yeah, yeah that's why I'm in schools all the time. Yeah. And I love being in schools and spending time with students and listening and hearing what their experiences are. And the same with the staff, um, because that brings true meaning to me. I mean, with the bus drivers when I was out riding buses um, with the students to schools. I mean, I learned all kinds of things on those bus rides, <laughs> things I wanted to know, things that intrigued me. Um, you know, I was able to get off the bus and tell the principal a whole bunch of things uh, about, you know, what students thought. So it's a matter of the things that you may miss most about what your role was before, creating the space to still have that. And I think working directly with our students and spending time with them. Um, being and being in the schools, spending time with our principals, knowing you know what innovative things they're doing, what challenges they're facing. Um, it allows me to authentically come to the work from a place that represents the people's perspective, and that's how I, I can never afford to get lost. Quite frankly, as a superintendent, um, because I want to keep my feet planted. I, I remember fellas back in the day when when Dr. McKnight worked at Parkland Middle School and she was like the Pied Piper of the staff 
And I was, I was privately jealous that I didn't have anyone. Of course, neither of you, <laughs> just kidding. We're, we're on my staff that were like that. Um, I just remember your amazing work with teachers, Dr. McKnight, um, and how you led them. So, all right, now this is the painful part of the program. Uh, we're going to turn it over to Mr. Siddons for the quiz. The, all right. The famous quiz. The Make it fun. It is. It's there's the only one. There's only one requirement is that it's fun and funny. So, uh, so Dr. Rick Knight, we know you are the wonderful superintendent of Montgomery County Public Schools, aka MCPS. But we want to know what you know about other areas of our world with the same acronym. Are you ready? <laughs> other MCPSs. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Don't worry, it's multiple choice. And and Dr. McKnight, your your threshold is two out of three. Is that correct? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay, let's do it. Two out of three. And then I have a bonus just in case. Okay. I want the bonus. All right. <laughs> All right. So number one, certified experts with this professional certification specialist, aka MCPS, run by a company formerly headed by Bill Gates provides technical support to organizations in areas such as client operation systems, networks, web design, desktop support, and more. Is it A, Macro Hub, B, Microsoft, or C, Mercantile? And that's MCPS? Yes, it's a different MCPS. It's not there, but I'll go with B. B is correct. Microsoft. Hey. Nice start. Well done. But Microsoft stole MCPS. Is that is that what we're establishing? <laughs> well, we should probably pursue that, I think. Uh, <laughs> all right. Next up, PRS for Music is the home of the Performing Rights Society, which is also known as PRS. <laughs> the Mechanical Blank Protection Society, MCPS, have a service agreement in place with PRS to provide rights management and administrative services for certain types of protections. What kind of protections are they trying to offer for PRS for music? Is it A, copyright, B, caffeinated, or C, creative? And the the word or the phrase is the mechanical blank protection society. That question was ridiculous. Very long question. (laughs) I'm gonna go with A. A is correct. Copyright. Oh, Very good. <laughs> nice job. All right. Lastly, but not leastly, the company DuPont is responsible for this MCPS. There's something called a multi-climate blank system, which demonstrates excellent versatility by enabling wearers to configure layers as needed to maintain comfort and weather conditions ranging from moderate to extreme without compromising the built-in protection and durability of the of the material called Nomex. <laughs> so important. So important. This is straight from like a, a, a product description page. A, is it A, proliferation? We're looking for multi-climate blank system. Proliferation. B, protection. Or C, prohibition. Okay, so this is terrible. <laughs> um, this worse. is a wild guess. <laughs> B. B is correct. Oh. Protection. Oh. 
and, and I, for and, and for context, they that that this I guess this this clothing is like used for like people in the military and firefighters and stuff like that. So anyway, you done good. That was three out of three. Uh, I, I, I have to say, uh, fellas, um, she beat Dr. Daryl Williams score. I mean, no big deal. Of course I did. <laughs> I, well I done, wonder if you're going to bring that up. I was like, I remember how Dr. Williams. No, listen, did. I, I wonder if Bravi will bring it up. Yeah, of course I will. Cause any chance I, I, Dr. Williams is a great mentor to me, but if I can get a dig in, I will. And, yes. And, and, and I will it, remind him of that when I see him. Yes. When you see right. him in the, in the inner superintendent chamber or wherever you all see each other. All right. Well, that was great. Uh, so we don't even need to do the bonus question, Mr. Sidney. That's right. That's right. All right. Um, uh, Dr. McKnight, on behalf of Peter and Casey, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, I guess, are you tweeting lately? Can can our uh, our listeners find you online anywhere? Yes. Super at MCPS. Okay. Yep. Super at MCPS. And I welcome others to tweet and I'm happy to come back anytime. I got to say, I want to thank you for doing this podcast. The more uh, educators can come together and talk about some of these creative solutions that we're going to have moving forward um, that contribute to the success of our kids beyond the pandemic, let's convene and let's do it. And then the great thing about this podcast is you get to have fun and end it with these awesome questions that I hope somebody else scores a 100% on in the future. Uh, all right. Well, you made Casey's day. All right, Dr. McKnight. Thanks again for coming on. Ed's not dead. And we'll get you back on the show in the future. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. Welcome back to Ed's not dead. We are still here. Uh, thanks again to Dr. Monifa McKnight. And as always, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Ed's Not Dead Media, full-service educational media company focusing on leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. Uh, fellas, at the beginning of the show, I neglected to tell the audience where they can find us. You can find us on Twitter at Ed's Not Dead PC, and of course, the website to check out Mr. Sidden's latest blogs, um, edsnotdead.com. Uh, that was a great interview. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think uh, you coming up with the superintendent series, I got to give you credit, Dr. Dad. Stroke of genius. It was a stroke of genius because, uh, you know, the average t- uh, tenure of a superintendent is what, like three years, four years. And uh, they have a lot on their shoulders and trying to deal with the impacts of COVID and all the other stuff that. Yeah, I think the most just the most fascinating thing is just the the perspective. And this goes yeah. for everybody that we talk to, but. You know, um, we have not interviewed previous to these two superintendents. And so the perspective that they bring is just the big picture um, all the way down to the to the littlest things is, has been uh, very illuminating. Yes. It's pretty amazing to hear somebody like Dr. McKnife and Dr. Dr. McKnight and Dr. Williams before her. Just the the command of all of the information that they have to have, like you said, Peter, from high level kinds of issues and understandings to what's actually happening in schools each day. Um, It it is, it is a daunting, daunting job. Yeah. They last about as long as NBA or NHL coaches. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough, <laughs> it's a tough gig. It's, it's a tough profession. And, um, I've heard Dr. McKnight say it time and time again, that's, it's the job she wants to do. She's, she's, it's her, it's her calling. Yeah. Um, so anyway, thanks again to Dr. McKnight for joining the show at this point in the show. I, I think all we have left Mr. Siddons from what I see in the show notes is a quiz, quiz. Grand finale. By the, the way, cur- it is current it events. Is, it is a hopeful sign that both superintendents who have appeared in the superintendent series uh, have been very well informed and have done exceptionally well on your quizzes. <laughs> I'm very impressed. This is yeah, true. Yeah. Because yeah. 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 your quizzes are hard. <laughs> very, very long questions as well. <laughs> I know. The last one was a lot. It was a lot. Hold on, hold on. I just have a paragraph I want to read. Hold on. Let me take a. I have to take a breath. Take a breath. (laughs) I I I like watching the superintendent's eyes glaze over. I have to. I have to actually put my notes. My notes in front of people's, uh, so I can't see the look on their faces. (laughs) It's a a good strategy. Yeah. So. All right. It's the CH Sins quiz. What do we have today, Mister? All right. We're we have current events and it's all soccer questions. Yeah, Yeah. I'm gonna win 100. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Come on. There is one. I'm so psyched. (laughs) It's all questions about the World Cup. No, I'm just kidding. Um. So the first set of questions is for Doctor Dodd. The second. Hold on. I hate to interrupt, Mister Sins. I have to interrupt you really quick. Okay. I I believe, and I don't know if this was set on air, but prior i think we were recording the night the commanders played the eagles on monday night football yes Ooh, and yeah. i asked mr cradle oh, i remember that i That's think i right. said 27 13 eagles you, 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 were, you were both you were both very no. uh disappointed commanders fans now amidst- crable crable said i asked him i said do they have a chance and he said no, no. Chance. that's right that's right no that's right. chance <laughs> all right just wanted to get that and i there. woke okay. up i remember i distinctly remember waking up the next morning and seeing the score and i was like oh look at, well, look at that look at dr dodd yeah, that's nice the, dr dodd is the 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 pervasive uh uh and effervescent optimistic washington commander he, is, he is an optimist no I doubt am, about that i am i you know hope springs eternal <laughs> all right sorry all right you. go ahead mr siddons number one dr dodd for these first three questions are for you whoa we're jumping in right away we are <laughs> Do you, want to go with, you want me crable first you want me no give, no no i'll go, okay, first. Okay, okay. I'll go first all right number one during the world cup the <laughs> national <laughs> The national soccer team of blank refused to sing its national anthem in support of ongoing protests in their country. Is it a Qatar B Wales or C Iran? Uh, that would be, uh, I was going to answer Canada to every World Cup <laughs> question. Now, that would be C Iran. That is correct. Very Great nice. start. Dr. Dodd. Number two, Lawmakers in New Zealand, your favorite country for reading instruction, will vote on whether the country should lower the voting age to A, 17, B, 16, or C, 15. That's a tough one. Ooh, that, that one got that. that Was that in recent current events? It is. Yes. Um, 15, 16, or 17. Those are the three choices? Correct. I'm going to say... If you can drive at 16, you can vote. I'm going to go 16. Split the difference. That is correct. 16 is correct. Meanwhile, there's a bunch of politicians in America who are trying to raise the voting age to like 30, I think. Um, Number Uh, Mr. Siddons, you know, I do want to go into New Zealand is on my bucket list to do what? What do you think? Fish for travel. Go fishing. Go fishing there. 
know why I did a red. I don't know why I did a redneck accent for. Know, that was like, like, yeah, sorry about that. I'll edit uh, that out. That was like Paul, that was like Paul Rudd and. And, uh, I love anyway, it. All right, speaking of myths, uh, number three, the city of blank, New York, received a record-breaking six feet of snow on Saturday, November 18th, just 10 days ago from our recording session. A Buffalo, B Albany, or C Utica. <laughs> why does the why does the word Utica make me laugh? Because <laughs> they have a great it's club. A, it's a it's a it's an odd word, Utica. Um <laughs> Uh, I'm surprised you didn't throw uh, one T's hometown, Rochester, in there. To, to Ooh, try to, actually, to try that was to con- part of the original choices, but I, I narrowed down to three. I'm going to go with Buffalo. Buffalo is correct for three out of three. Nice work, Dr. Right. Was it Was it really Buffalo proper, though? Or yeah, was it more was. Orchard Park? Hmm? Well, listen. You know, listen, like, just, let's, oh, now he's a New York expert accurate. after doing on his That's little right. I was up there for there. 45 minutes. For four okay. days. You know, the crazy thing about that, that happened after I got back from my... Uh, it was like a week or two later, wasn't it? Yeah, week. My annual it's fishing wild. trip in on Lake Ontario. And the Oak Orchard River where I fish is, is as the crow flies, not far from Buffalo at all. That lake effect, it's it's pretty fascinating that it has like a concentrated impact uh, yes because where i fish got a dusting um yeah. and it's literally within an hour wow so it was pretty wild yeah yeah all, all right. right mr all right, Kramer, three easy lot, easy wins for me thanks you have a lot to live up to all of these are from world cup matches yesterday all these questions no, i'm just kidding three for number, three. number one a 5.6 magnitude earthquake struck java an island in blank, killing at least 162 people. Is it A, the Philippines, B, Indonesia, or C, New Zealand? I do know geography quite well. That would be B, Indonesia. <laughs> B, Indonesia. Very good. Number two, no, no, no earthquake jokes. That's oh, not, sorry. No not, not appropriate. <laughs> Too soon. No, number two, not NASA's Orion capsule. Reached the moon on November 21st, making it the first NASA mission to go to the moon since the end of the blank program. Is it A, Aries, B, Apollo, or C, Hera? Okay, before he answers, before yes. he answers, I do want to mention to the audience and to you, Mr. Siddons, I don't know if you know this, but when I hired Mr. Crable many moons ago, he <laughs> oh, no. said one of his pitches was uh, yeah. that he he taught astronomy. It was. <laughs> that, he had, that he had written the astronomy curriculum. He did because oh, he was yes. he was told to teach it. And I all right. So uh, you know where that he... curric- you know where that curriculum existed? Right here in the head. That's the only place. <laughs> uh that would be the Apollo program. Uh, the Apollo is correct. Two for two. All Look right. You, I have Mr. to come Craig. up with a tiebreaker. Did here. I tell you how I went to astronomy night at the White House? Did that ever come up or no? Uh, did you bring your students there? That's right. Yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, That's we nice. uh, went and and um Barry O was walking around shaking hands and doing oh, that sort of cool. doing his presidential thing. Yeah. It's pretty that's cool. A lot of Obama. All right. All right. Number three. An outbreak of bird flu has caused a massive blank shortage in the United Kingdom. Is it A, chicken, B, butter, or C, egg? Seems bad. Or should I say chicken, butter, or egg? That was pretty good. Uh, we'll go with chicken. 
Chicken is incorrect. The answer is egg shortage. And you finish with a two out of three, which is not bad. Three easy ones like Dr. Dodd, I see. You know, don't hate the player, hate the game. Okay. I think I would have chosen egg on that one. This well, chicken or the I don't egg? Know what you were thinking? It was chicken, the chicken, it's chicken or the egg? Question. It's the age-old question of chicken or the egg, and you got it wrong. Yeah. So well, I appreciate it. Dad, you're in the lead now. I think. All right, all right, Mr. Sid, that was, an, that was an amazing quiz, <laughs> uh, especially when I when I win. Um, <laughs> when I... All right, uh, did you two have pleasant Thanksgiving holidays? Definitely. Uh, I'll tell you a crazy story. Um, August on Thanksgiving day came down. He was playing with his cousins. He came down, sat down for dinner and was like, Oh, you look bad. Red eyes, just glassy, look terrible. Yeah. Woke up next morning, you know, fevery, et cetera. Turns out he had the flu, but literally for like 24 hours, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen Uh, by Saturday. No fever, no nothing. Pretty much a hundred percent. Not, not quite a hundred percent. 95%. He had the flu for maybe 36 hours. Did you all get it? No, nobody else has gotten it. You know, knock on wood. Wow. Yeah. I, I I'll tell you what, I love the no Wednesday. Yeah. The no work Wednesdays. Pretty sweet. That was nice. That's a nice addition. I, I think, um, I'm glad August is okay. It's funny yes. how little it's funny how little kids how a a bug like that can just race like, through their it's shoe. like the common it's like the common cold. Yeah. Yep. Um, he took a nap and he was fine. <laughs> it's also a little scary too. How it to is just lay you low, but then uh the no work Wednesday, the Wednesday prior to Thanksgiving, the, every employer, private sector, public sector. I think post pandemic, it should be an understanding that that Wednesday is a holiday. It's a, it's a, it's a, even in the private sector, I've had people say that it's a waste mm-hmm. of day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Give people time to travel, go to the store, get ready yeah. for people coming into town or leaving town. It's just a no brainer. It's, it's an, it's an, it's an, it's an American stupidity to work that day. Yep. I agree. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, the private sector is just now giving people off that Friday. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, oh. that, that, that's, that's been a work day. I mean, it's, it is, it is, it is the big mm. kickoff to holiday shopping. It's brutal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mr. Siddons, you went to West Virginia with your bride did, and your, did. And, and, and your in-laws, your, and, your, and my parents tra- traversed down to West Ginny and my North Carolinian brother uh, drove up to West Virginia too. Cause that, he, he, he didn't get to celebrate with us last year. That would be the baby, the baby said, that's right. That's right. Yep. Uh, it was good. It was awesome. Uh, everybody had a good time and no so, controversy, no fighting. It was wonderful. So you mix, you mix the, the grandparents. I've never, we do. A, and and you know what? They, they, get they, along. they, com- they commonly do that too. Yeah, it's 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 they're very yeah. they get along very well. And Where do you fall down on that, Crable? I'm not a I fan. Would, no, no, I'd say Ooh. theoretically not a fan either. Nothing really wow. to base it on. Yeah. But it's like separating my portions yeah. on my plate. I you know. Agree. Interesting. I agree. No food touching, and this is this yes. is the I, 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 I like yeah. the the having them both there, so then I don't feel guilty about not visiting one or the other. Yeah, and you're and you're also very relaxed that way. You're like yeah. you're you're a man of the people. Does yes, it stress? Does it stress you out? Be happy to get. Oh no, yeah, I don't like socializing. I don't like out. socializing at all. Yeah, okay, sorry <laughs> about that. I didn't know that. I actually thought <laughs> I've discovered did. in the last few years that I'm I'm strongly an introvert, and I I don't like to 
you know, it takes a lot of energy out of me, but I like to have the grandparents around for Frida and it's just exciting to have them together. Frida is the Frida must be the, the amount of attention. The, the, oh, it's uh, showered on her. Filling over. She must think she's just the queen. Yeah. And, but at the interesting part of it, as I'm sure you've experienced where w- no one really f- is watching her, even though the everyone's parents, around, the, the parents are assuming that the grandparents are taking over watching and that grandparents think that someone else is always watching, <laughs> but none of that is actually happening. <laughs> So the first thing she grabs is from the bowl of matchbooks in the bathroom. She grabs oh, nice. a couple of those from the eighties. You know, <laughs> and uh, Is there a hot tub those. there? Uh, it's in the works. Okay. Supposedly. Watch, watch the hot tub. You know, they're, they are hot a, tubs are gross. So no, I no, no, no. They are in notorious danger for small, yes, tra- for small children unattended. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Ugh. Don't mean to end the show on a downer. All right. Uh, so don't know when we're recording again, but the superintendent series will continue. We're going to surprise our audience with who comes next. Yes. That's exciting. Um, all right, fellas, any final parting thoughts? I'm very no. excited for, for December. I'm just, it's, 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 it's been a good November. I'm ready for the next month. This is a joyous time of year. It is yeah. put up, put up my Christmas tree yesterday. So I'm ready, man. Oh, Whoa. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's impressive. I missed the, was Saturday the nice day? Yeah, yes. Saturday was the Saturday nice day. Was unbelievable. Yep. I would have been a good day to do the outside decorations, and I just didn't have it in me. Mm. So it's gonna have to wait. Uh, I wonder if there's gonna be a run on trees. Do you got a? Do you have a? You have a? You have a? You have a Hessian fake tree, Crable? <laughs> of course, comes pre-lighted and fake tree I'm, here. Two yeah, of them. I'm, ru- I'm running into a, a whole strand is not working, and I can't figure out why. So Ooh. yeah. That's, that's your called, job go, today. That's called go to CVS and buy a stream. But it's already us Gen Xers. <laughs> that's right. It's just throw it in the dumpster. It's already pre. It's already pre. Uh, whatever, man. It's pre done. It's pre oh, strong. Are they like attached to it? Yeah. Oh, you don't do anything. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. All right. Yeah. All how right. many how many natural trees have lights in them? None. Uh, yeah, what a waste. <laughs> uh, as always, Ed's Not Dead uh, is brought to you by Ed's Not Dead Media, um, full-service educational media company focusing on leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. Check out the Ed's Not Dead website, edsnotdead.com, and you can always catch up with our tweeting at Ed's Not Dead PC, although I think we should abandon Twitter because of Unit Hill, Ugh. but oh, that's, a, that's a discussion yeah, for I agree. day. Uh, thanks again to Dr. Manifa McKnight for joining the show. Uh, we look forward to continuing the superintendent series in the next month. Fellas, it's great to see you. Thanks to our listeners for always tuning in. For Peter and Casey, we'll talk to you soon.